Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aidan Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you with some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, episode 33, The Unfinished Story. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. And I'm Vicar Aiden Moon. And I'm Vicar Jason Kamm. And we're glad to have both of our vicars here as there's a little bit of overlap. And this week, uh, we're finishing up the book of Malachi, chapters 3 and 4, and going through the entire book of First Chronicles. Uh, we're drawing close ever closer to the end of our trek through the scriptures in the Old Testament. And so as we do that, uh, we're going to be finishing up the book of Malachi. And there's a significant message of the book uh, that is to hold tightly to the word. And actually, let's face it, that's part of what we've been doing as we've been going throughout the trek in the scriptures. Uh, but in this case, uh, it's contained in the law and the prophets. Yeah, so it's really, we, we've talked a little bit about this transition point between the pre-exile and post-exile. And we talked about this in terms of Ezra and Nehemiah. You have this heavy concern for, we're not going to mess this up again, right? We really, uh, we went down this path of idolatry. We were always worshiping false idols and uh, we went into exile. So now what are we, what, how are we going to keep this from happening again? And Malachi helps to really aim the community towards the word that has been recorded. Uh, the really big emphasis before this point has been the spoken word coming from the prophets directly. So God speaks to the prophet, the prophet is God's mouthpiece. And now there's a really high emphasis, even more than in the past, on the, the written scrolls of the Torah, the written scrolls of the prophets. And so this kind of public reading of the scriptures becomes a lot more significant for the community. Um, not to say that it hasn't been in the past, but it takes on kind of a new emphasis. And Malachi gives a pretty good picture of that. That's an early, an early image of this. And uh, the way that it's framed in the whole book of Malachi is as this sort of series of disputes, um, not necessarily in an argumentative way, but sort of people, the people of uh, Israel bringing certain claims or statements before God, and then Malachi is speaking for God back to the people with these various statements. And then in the middle of it all is this sort of emphasis to return to the written scriptures. Um, and so that's, a, that's pretty significant. And it's really going to be... Uh, it's going to shape the identity of the community of, of the people of Judah um, really all the way into the New Testament. When we see that, that public reading of scripture in the synagogue, in Jesus ministry, that's, that's uh, foundational in these post-exile times um, as, we, as we read it in Malachi. Well, and we see that in Jesus' ministry doing that as he's beginning his ministry, he returns to his hometown, he reads from the scroll, he sets the scroll down and, and says, this has been fulfilled in your sight. And uh, so it was very much a part of the life, of the worship life, really, of the of the congregation of people in the synagogues in not just Jerusalem, but all the little towns, Nazareth, Bethlehem, and so forth. And so we really see that transitional period, so to speak, from, as you said, merely only the the spoken word into also now the written word and how that's done. Well, one of the other uh, emphasis that we see is on covenant, and covenant is really one of the the uh, emphasis that we see going all the way back to Abraham as God makes his covenant with his people. And so we see it here as well, and yet it uh, has a, another focus as well as we talk about covenant. Right. So within this term covenant, Malachi focuses a lot on this term election. 
So God chose a specific people as his very own. We know this to be Israel. And he chose them in order to bless all people through this specific covenant, this promise to be their God even as they are his own people. Um, and so the main issue that Israel is exhibiting here in Malachi is not that they're struggling with their age-old idolatry problem, but rather they're serving the true God, but half-heartedly. They're not giving it their all. They're not giving proper and right sacrifices and offerings. And God demands some more respect than that because these are his chosen holy people, and they should look like that in everything that they say and do, and they should put all their heart and soul into it. And there's this uh, theme, really, connection to the book of Nehemiah. We heard it earlier as we read through it, but some of that theme deals with marriage, corrupt priests, the Sabbath. And so look for those themes as you go through and finish up the book here of Malachi. Uh, and one of the things that uh, we were joking as the three of us were talking, getting ready for the podcast, about how it was context, context, context as we've gone throughout the Old Testament. But really part of that context is also understanding how there's the connectivity between the different books, the different time periods, uh, as we are now in the post-exile, uh, so that the uh, context between the various uh, writings like in Nehemiah and now with Malachi and how there is those connections between the two. Now, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, God has seemed to have been faithful, even though Israel has been unfaithful. Um, and as uh, Jason mentioned, this half-hearted obedience, um, they're not falling away and worshiping Baal as some of their ancestors had done, but still a different kind of uh, uh, unfaithfulness or idolatry, uh, not necessarily these... Uh, statues of false gods, but uh, even today we have idolatry, even though we don't necessarily have a statue that we're worshiping, but uh, the different idols in our own personal lives, uh, and we could see it even in, in their time as well. But after we get past chapters one and two, we really get into the section we're reading for this week as well. Yeah, the chapter three has this pretty cool picture of the future Messiah as this messenger who's going to bring justice. There's this image of a purifying fire, uh, which purifying fire is an example of language that could be read either positively or negatively, depending. Um, it's positive in the sense that it's purifying. It's negative in the sense that it's fire. Um, fire is not necessarily a comfortable image um, when we think about that, but purifying is a good thing. Um, anyone who's involved or knows anything about metalworking can kind of think about this image of fire that works out the impurities and burns them away, uh, and that God himself will do that. So this sort of half-hearted idolatry, um, like, like you said, more of a symbolic idolatry, sort of just a preoccupation with other things besides the one true God, rather than uh, this sort of pagan worship, um, um, that even will be burned away as this messenger comes on the scene. So we're looking forward in time, especially this is, we're right, getting to the end of the Old Testament. Um, this is the big prophetic hope that looks forward to Jesus. Right. And so the, the conclusion of Malachi, in a way, we can see it as sort of the final note of the Old Testament itself, because it is the very last uh, written chapter in the order that we have it in. And it begins with this future of the remnant of God's people, this post-exilic people. And we're just going to read to you this great hope that's in uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked 
for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So a lot of vivid imagery there, the sun rising with healing, leaping calves, treading down enemies that have become ashes. This is the future for God's people. And the Old Testament, in a way, ends on this note of hope for them. And there's one more other point that we want to bring out. There is a side note about the Torah and the prophets. So the whole um, rest of the Old Testament before this, it's actually this unified story that points to this future of hope, and it will be ushered in by the prophet Elijah. And this we understand to be pointing ahead to John the Baptist, heralding the coming of Jesus. And so this is a wink, wink, hint, hint. Someone new is coming, and it's going to be amazing. And so we're looking to the future here in Malachi, and it's a future of hope for God's people. Well, as we're drawing uh, to a close in our look at the Old Testament, we realize that while early on in our trek, we were reading pretty much chronologically as we have the scriptures laid out for us in the Old Testament as we have them presented to us today. Uh, we read out a little bit out of context. Now we're drawing to a close, but we are going to be finishing up here with First Chronicles and next week, Second Chronicles. So it's a little bit out of order, but like Samuel and Kings, uh, Chronicles is uh, one book in two parts. And so this week we have the first part in First Chronicles, and in a very much this is why we're finishing up with it in our Old Testament look because it's a summary history of the Old Testament um, and bringing together everything that we've been reading over the last several months as we've gone through the story of Genesis and creation and now getting in through the Israel and the promise. But now it's uh, also a history with this prophetic hope for what God is planning. And we saw that as we finished up Malachi, as uh, uh, Vicar Kahn mentioned, that we talked about this, another one is coming, this pointing toward John the Baptist, this connectivity between the old and the new. But as we do that, as we go through this summary, it's also important, as we said earlier, reading it in context, um, and the context of the second temple period, the temple that is built after they return from uh, the exile. And uh, as we read earlier during the time of Nehemiah, Ezra, and so forth. So uh, it's interesting in Bible class, uh, uh, Vicar talked about a little bit about how the first couple chapters, the first nine chapters, so to speak, can be eh, a little bit boring. There's a lot of genealogy there. But why is there the genealogy? It may be boring, but why is it there? Well, we're going to see this again when we get into the New Testament because there's a couple of genealogies right at the beginning that are going to be like, why, why is this here? Um, but this is really important because the genealogies make it so that the story starts with Adam and goes all the way to the return from exile. So it doesn't give an in-depth story of the Torah, but it does give this sort of echo back by giving us all these names. And so it does emphasize the origins, points back to these various characters along the way who received God's covenant in its different uh, manifestations. So you have uh, the different eras of, of Adam, the era of Noah, and of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of Moses. So you kind of have these these people down the line. And yeah, it is very convoluted, but we're and and can be a little bit hard to read. So be okay with skimming it a little bit. But the reason it's there is this is like a heritage thing, especially if you think of it in terms of that after the exile. It's the question of like who are we? 
what is our identity as a people? And so the names of your of your forefathers matter to that. I think we can understand that, um, the people who came before us. And so this is giving the people of Israel post-exile as they try to figure out their communal identity, um, some of that, that picture of where they're coming from. And because of that, then we, we talk about this unified story. It is going to repeat a lot of the content from Samuel and Kings, but Samuel and Kings are earlier historical records. Chronicles is one that's being written down in this later period. Some people will even will even speculate that maybe Ezra wrote um, First and Second Chronicles, which there's not any internal evidence of that other than the fact that the stories can sort of connect together. Like you could end Second Chronicles and go right into Nehemiah Ezra if you wanted to. Um, but there's really what it's doing is saying, hey, we're looking back on our history and who we are as a people all the way up until coming back from exile at the end of Second Chronicles. Well, what's interesting is uh, this is also why we didn't start with Chronicles. It's much easier to read Chronicles, even skimming it, because you can connect back to all the things that we have been reading over the last several months as we've read First and Second Samuels, as we've read First and Second Kings, as we put the meat on the bone, so to speak, and we've gone through all the various uh, prophets and so forth. It kind of uh, draws it all together because we've heard these stories. Uh, we've heard these events as we've gone through the earlier uh, reading that we've done this year. And now... Uh, it, even though it's a skimming, it, it connects it up. And it's interesting here because it talks about the reign of King David, but there's some things left out as it kind of skims through the story of King David. Right. So we frequently refer to David as the man after God's own heart in the Old Testament. However, he doesn't always act as the man after God's own heart. We know that he gets himself into some trouble sometimes. But those more negative stories of David are largely left out of Chronicles. It mostly includes more positive stories and has details about the plans for the temple. And it really depicts David first and foremost as this image of the coming future Messiah. So again, serving to strengthen the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament with the transition of God's people leading to Jesus coming from the Davidic line. So he's an ideal king here, uh, still very much a sinner, but he's depicted as a repentant one. And that's really, is it not, when we talk about our own worship of life as our own life as a believer, never saying we're not sinners. Uh, one of the things I saw in a bumper sticker along the way, not perfect, just forgiven. I mean, I think that uh, when we're uh, out and about in the world, I think sometimes the world thinks, well, you're a Christian, so you think you're better than everybody else, as if uh, that's somehow true. And that's not a true t depiction. We're not better than anybody else. We're just as much a sinner as them. The difference between us and the world around us is that while we are a sinner like they are, we are a forgiven sinner. And so as we look at David, uh, yes, he sinned. And as we know from our previous readings, sometimes sinned greatly. Uh, nevertheless, he was a forgiven sinner. And uh, themes of worship, though, are also introduced uh, here in First Chronicles that continues on to Second Chronicles, um, as per particularly some things that draws into the story that we, as we've heard it earlier. Well, we've seen a lot of temple and tabernacle and art conversation as we read through the Torah, as we talked about Solomon. Um, that is a theme of of kings. It is, and it's a theme of of Second Samuel, um, but. First, First and Second Chronicles both really draw this out, and the emphasis, as we'll, we'll get into next time, the emphasis in Second Chronicles becomes um, this king 
did worship God right, this king did not. Um, we, we see even a broader definition of what was wrong with them in the earlier books, but that right or wrong worship is what sort of defines kings as good or bad, which is another reason why David here is portrayed pretty ideally, because for all of his mistakes and his sins, he worshiped God alone. Um, that cannot be said for a good majority of the kings that came after him. And that is why he's pictured as such a great king and why um, we talked about King Josiah as an image who's he's, he's referred to as being like David. This is how he is like David is by worshiping God alone. And so the purity of that worship of only worshiping God and the, the life of the temple and the people surrounding the temple is pretty big part of of first and second chronicles, which makes sense again, as post exile people, as they're living in this time where they're rebuilding, um, they're reshaping their life as a community and they have this new temple. Um, so tying their own heritage back into that worship life as a people. Well, thank you for joining us this week on our episode, episode 33 of the podcast. It's really good to, to get together with, with all three of us now for a few episodes as we close out our time in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, next week, we will get back um, together one more time to discuss the episode 34, and we'll, we'll close out Second Chronicles, but we'll also take a little time to go what happened in between before we jump into the New Testament right around the corner. So thank you for joining us. We pray that God would bless your reading this week, that you continue to learn as you read and inwardly digest this word this week, and uh, God's blessings on your reading this week. Thank you for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Join me now in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank and praise you for the gift of your holy scriptures, for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon your word, and by the Holy Spirit, increase our saving knowledge of you, that day by day we may be strengthened in divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. Give us strength to fight the good fight, and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh, and the world, so that we may finally receive the salvation of our souls. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as we continue our exploration of God's story as it points us ever towards the good news of Jesus Christ. Have a great week.